Hello and welcome to the Biz First Dev Podcast. This is episode 27. I'm your host, Mick Posen. And I'm James Robert. Today we'll be chatting about the ways that new technologies have to earn our trust and the barriers they're in. Before we get into that, have you been? <laughs> it, I mean, it's fall now in New York City, and one thing I realized for a long time, and it's getting chillier fall, is that I always got a little bit more down when it came to the darker seasons, mm. colder, darker. I mean, yes, there's just less light, there's less liveliness, there's. But uh, I think there's also this expectation that I had foolishly, and maybe it's because maybe other people have the same that no matter how the seasons change, I should still feel the same exact way. That's not true. I mean, for a long time, people had mania in the summer and melancholy in the winter. Unless they lived in California. Right. In, in areas where you have pronounced seasons, you would feel differently. And I, th- I think that I have this um, optimistic expectation that I would feel that I would be the same exact way, summer and winter. It's obviously never the case. And I have to take more steps during the winter to combat my feelings of melancholy. Well, because it's always gray and dark it really is always gray and being in an environment where things are even grayer it takes a toll and last couple days it's been raining and occasionally get these you know little bits of sunlight but when i get home now i don't see a sunset and i think the temperature really does affect you i mean there's reasons why people use like warmness and coldness as a metaphor for friendliness and unfriendliness Mm -hmm. like a person who's warm is nice and a person who's cold obviously is less pleasant (laughs) and and when you're excited you feel warm or you in fact your temperature is higher yeah associate this when you're cold you're you're more more stiff a dead body is oh come on (laughs) had to go there regardless i mean i think temperature absolutely affects your mood Subject of things that affects your mood, that affect your mood. I'm currently reading a book about about uh, the power. It's called the power of place, and I'm blanking on the author right now. It came out, I think, in the early '90s, and discusses how what again what the impact the environment has on you. And this this came on the heels of reading. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of links in the show notes about this one. Steelcases, a magazine about health, environment, and the workplace, and Gensler's work on the same thing. We have a couple of links there as well for Gensler. Um, and then in October's issue of the Harvard Business Review, there are a couple of articles which if readers, listeners rather, if you want to take a look at these articles, I have I happen to have a PDF because my company passed them around. I think we purchased them. I'm happy to let you view them if that is legal in your country. I think, possibly. I'm Just fine. drop us an email and we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll give you a summary. It's Mick at bizversedev.com. That's M-I-K at You know, we'll put that in the show notes too. Most podcast apps, you can just like... I don't know. The show notes are in there somewhere. If mm-hmm. it's the Apple one, the podcast one, you tap on the cover, dear listener, on your screen right now, and you'll see the show notes. <laughs> if you're listening in Who, Overcast, me? if you're listening in Overcast, which like basically everyone is, that's our number one podcast listening client, you sort of like scroll up the album artwork and mm-hmm. then it kind of shrinks down and then the show notes are down there. So that's how you find it. You can just tap on a little link that says make it mm-hmm. I've been particularly smitten with, this, with these topics because of the work that I've been involved with. Uh, professionally because of personal interest. I mean, I've taken a really big uh, doubling down on health and wellness and how that's played a role in my life before. And I know we've chatted before about how I'm particular about things. I like to have take walking meetings. I, I'm very uh, stringent when it comes to my diet, the types of things that I eat, where I eat from. And including this notion is also color, light, nature, the amount of you know plants I have in my room, which I'm now increasing again for the same exact reason. 
I recently purchased an aloe vera plant because Trader Joe's has that for now. Hmm. For and with with a nice orange basket, I guess it's just a seasonal thing. I I go in my room now. I'm significantly happier because I see a plant. I have a whole bunch of plants. <clears throat> it's uh, plants are good. Plants make plants make very effective decorations in terms of making the place feel. Oh God, I don't want to say it, but alive. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, th- this it it makes it feel like it's a place that again think. Let's remove all the buildings that we have now. What kind of environment did we live in before? Where, where there's nature everywhere. So yeah, it feels more like the type of environment you should be in. I visited a company earlier early this week to chat with them. Uh, and in their office, they had... What's the company? Aloha. They make, uh, they make healthier uh, food powders and their, and their product line is expanding. They're going to offer a couple of new things. I Wait, don't food powders? Uh, not food powders, rather. Like supplemental powders. From with they their, mix into food? Uh, that you mix into a drink, some sort, um, kind of a daily wellness thing to supplement the things that you might not necessarily get from your from your regular diet. This feels like Soylent follow up. Oh, there will be <laughs> considerable Soylent follow up. There's a New York article, I'm linked down in the show notes about Soylent recently, and I finally saw. I don't know why I didn't look into this before. Exactly what is in Soylent? Uh-huh. The oil that you have, yep. that's canola oil. That's the fine. sweetener that, that you have is maltodextrin. Canola oil is a horrible, horrible oil. It's also inflammatory. Canola doesn't mean anything. It just means it's made in Canada. It's a shitty oil, like fundamentally in terms of what it's made of. Well, it has fish oil in it too. Great. From what? I don't know. I don't really care. Yes, <laughs> but you, I can check. You have to care. The origin of these things, if this is used as a way to... For first, you cannot thrive off this. You can survive and subsist off this, but that's not what food should be. It also has maltodextrin, which is primarily derived from corn, which is primarily in this country, GMO. So these things that's meant to somehow help you survive are made with some of the shittiest ingredients you can find. The things that you that you would never find in any kind of health bar, assuming it's a quality health bar, is now here. I, The degree of, again, I said the same exact word before, of hubris, that we can think that we are so capable of removing ourselves from our evolutionary biological origins it's shameful and it's also discouraging to see that so many larger companies uh, well vc firms i guess and people who finance it support something that is so out of tune because they're furthering this notion that we could somehow outsmart ourselves we have to figure something out i mean we need to understand nutrition and food better we and can't just stick with what worked a thousand years ago forever. I completely agree. We have to understand food nutrition better. What we're doing now is is taking many, many steps back. We th- it's it's we think we understand it, and now we're make, creating something miserable because of it. Synthesis is a key component of understanding. That's how you dis- that's how you find the differences between how you think it works and how it actually works. If you don't like, think of how people used to understand music for instance mm-hmm. back in the 80s and they're like okay we understand what a flute sounds like it's basically a sine wave and it has this other f- whatever content it's just a bunch of frequencies then they made synthesizers and it was very easy to tell the difference between a real flute and a synthesizer and a flute is one of the easy ones to synthesize <laughs> so i mean like and that highlighted right off the bat and it's gotten a lot a lot better now but it highlights when you try and synthesize something the difference between the real thing and the synthesis it fill it makes you see the gaps in your understanding. And that gap we haven't noticed yet when it comes to food. There's this... Well, we've been looking at food a lot longer. And we're not no, truly no. synthesized. Like, Soylent isn't really synthesized. It's still made out of organic stuff. By synthesis, I mean the product, the food, the food-like products. And this is a great word that Michael Pollan used. The food-like products that we eat. They have calories. They have elements in there, but they're not actual food. 
Uh, they have carbs. Okay, they have protein. That's, that's a pretty specific definition of what food is. Food is something that's supposed to be food. Is something that's supposed to be sustenance and health, healthy to the body. When you eat a cheeseburger from McDonald's, that's not sustenance. That's a food-like product. It's a it's a a biological amalgam, an organic amalgam of. And I mean, organic as in it has carbon, not organic as in it's. Yep. Continue. Of nutrients that are specifically designed to exploit our physiological needs. Okay, but soylent isn't that. Soylent is meant to be. Soylent is the issue when you have someone who's an engineer without a sufficient understanding of what the world is and what is what's encapsulated in that world, making a product and thinking this is the best way. It's when you, it's it's the that hubris is what basically has allowed us to create and discover technologies. I mean, think of the hubris it took to promise that we'd get to the moon back in the '60s. That's a valid point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're unwilling to go into the new territory, you're never going to figure it out. It's one thing to go into new territory. It's one thing to go into new territory without realizing the impact. And I, I guess maybe because food is, with when it comes to getting to space, you have to make something that's completely out there, and there you get somewhere. Mm-hmm. But with, I don't with, see how we can uncover new, a new, anything if we can only stick to organically farmed, locally sourced food. The the issue with food. That's like. That's the do it the one thousand years ago way. But but we moved away from that for a long time. In fact, we had the, this locally sourced organic food movement has been more recent because as a reaction to us moving completely away from all this. Yeah, well, there's always reactionary. Any like, as in we've we've been we've gotten sick from doing the other way. The issue with but not everyone. The issue with soylent is that it involves ingredients that we fundamentally know to not be optimal, things that we should actually do away with entirely. There is no benefit from eating anything. Suboptimality of those ingredients is mostly the way that they're employed. I mean, it's... You're right. Canola oil is better, better used for machinery than it is for digestion. In fact, in Europe, that's how it's used. Rapeseed oil is used for machinery, not for human consumption. Unless in some areas it's used for human consumption. But it's just seed oil. I mean, sunflower seed oil could be substituted. The only reason that they do it the way they do is because it makes it easier to produce tons of it. Right. If you can, if you can produce tons of it cheaply, that probably means it's a shitty ingredient. That's not necessarily true. In this case, it is. You're right. I, but I. But I. More often than not, is it something's that's made a, like what I'm getting at is that's an axiom, not a law. Mm-hmm. If they chose to use something a little bit right now, there's a huge health craze with coconut oil. People are now using coconut oil everywhere. If they chose to use coconut oil, I'd be happier. But and coconut tastes like crap. Coconut oil, seems, <laughs> coconut oil is incredible. It has this I do not like coconut. Fantastic, sweet, <laughs> sweetish smell. I mean, olive oil, unfortunately, olive oil goes rancid. There's also the issue of the qualities of the oil you itself. You know, you can substitute your own oil. Like, it comes separately. Right. But how many people know about this? The issue is that you have, we buy products, mm-hmm. and we assume, we trust this company has the best things in mind for us. That you they, think that they don't? They wouldn't let us. They we wouldn't. We don't think that something can be made available, and it, and it hurt us, because and that's why the FDA, in terms of like when it comes to approval, that's why there's such a big uproar every time there's a medicine that gets recalled because we're we're under the assumption that we would not be we would not be exposed to things that damage us the way that we were, instance, exposed to food meat back in the day of you know Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. I don't. I'm not familiar with that reference. In Upton Sinclair's Jungle, this is it's a Lithuanian family that it's a fiction book that he they moved to New York City, and they struggle with trying to make ends meet, and 
it talks about part of partly what he discusses is how uh, terrible the meat industry is. People would fall into the, to the grinders, and sometimes they'd get chopped up, and you'd have rats in there. This eventually led to the first Food Protection Act. And now I don't think that those are capital letters. I don't exactly know the the, the entire act because I read this book in the seventh grade. There was a similar thing in New York with milk being mixed with like chalk or something. They were like selling spoiled milk. Was that recent? No, no, no. Oh, that was like uh, at least a hundred, more than a hundred years ago. Again, there's people cheapen things. I mean, there's also the issue of, um, I think there was fake beef on the market. It was just pork. Maybe it was fake pork <laughs> because pork is cheaper than beef. It was coming from China. It was fake. People try to pass off something that's cheaper, something that's more expensive because they can, because they want to make the additional. There's also like the. Which is the fundamental benefit of trusting government. Government, the role that government fills economically mm-hmm. is that they allow you to not trust people. You can trust the government instead of trusting the people you're dealing with. Which is why the whole um, spy on us thing didn't work out so well in their favor because now we're like, well, no, we don't trust you. FBI wants us, FBI that want, doesn't want tech companies to, to block them out because they people, think. People separate out the trust that they have for the government in ways that. I don't know, may or may not be irrational. I guess we'll find out. But we we don't trust the government in certain ways because we think they're spying on us. But in other ways, we still, when we go to the drugstore, we don't think, well, since they're spying on us, these drugs must all be dangerous because, you know, the, uh, what is it, FDA? Yeah, mm-hmm. the FDA, like, must be slacking because we're being spied on. Like, people well, don't necessarily... The FDA is slacking. You have people coming from these pharmaceutical companies into the FDA. It's a revolving door of people coming from these. And you have large numbers of drugs. I mean, large being relative. You have a handful number of drugs that tend to get pretty big, and they have a massive recall. Because when these, when these bits of research occur on these medications, you end up having studies. That, every study that they make, that uh, they conduct, rather, has to be I'm submitted. not trying to make a case for how effective the FDA is. I'm just saying that the being spied on isn't influencing how people feel about the FDA. The fact that we... Like, Edward Snowden's leaks didn't make everyone suddenly stop trusting pharma. The level of trust in the FDA Do has... Do people trust pharma? Or I-, I didn't say trust. That they absolutely trust them. I'm mm-hmm. saying the level of trust that people have didn't change. People didn't suddenly have more distrust of the FDA as a result of this. Which is a shame. Maybe we could bring about significant and impactful change if we did. No, I think people rationally realize that the FDA and the NSA are different agencies that don't impact each other. Spying on people is a big problem for lots of reasons, but not because of big pharma. Well, this is why... So here's... here. I want to to disagree with you here. If you have a company that doesn't... For instance, if in the infinite company's culture, it's People misbehave. People lie. That's going to be evident in all their products. You're going to end up having that. If in one element of the government you have insincerity uh, and abuse of power, you might have that somewhere else too. Sure. It's within the culture itself. If you have a, if you have a, if you have a, a company with a culture like that, you don't trust the, co- the company culture. We just happen to have a government that's so big, and I mean, if any libertarians listen to this are probably going to go, probably going to start cheering now, that inherently speaking... If it's so big and one part of it's bad, you can have bad eggs everywhere else. They've spread enough. You have enough gangrene in the government. It's a different <laughs> kind of problem, though. It's not... Having the government spy on you is not the same as ineptitude. For the FDA to allow bad drugs to get through would be ineptitude. Whereas well, having the FDA go- lets them get through. So going back to what I, meant, what I mentioned earlier, the studies that are done, 
the, the drug companies have to report every study that's, that's conducted, which is why as soon as one study is conducted that's positive, they stop conducting more studies in case something comes out that, that, that shows that's, that's, that it might be damaging. Right, which is why the FDA do, has rules about what's a sufficient amount of study. I mean, it takes a really long time for drugs to get to market. There's another side of this, which is there are life-saving drugs out there that aren't in the market because it takes so long to get things through FDA approval. And I would argue that there are so many things you could do instead that would save more lives. Like, if you... We, we're now saying that diabetes is such a big issue. Okay, well, what's causing the diabetes? It's people consuming things they shouldn't be consuming. We don't... The solution isn't to help people consume better things. The solution is to ban those things from existing entirely. We, we're creating the problems... By making, by letting those things be, be manufactured, like, so, oh, then how do we fix it? It is so hard to make a case for. We have to ban, I don't know, high fructose corn syrup. Of course, it's a hard case because you have people who are. No, no, that's not why. How can you leave things like? How can you say, you know what? You can smoke tobacco if you want. You can nope. smoke marijuana if you want. You can smoke. You can drink alcohol if you want. But high fructose corn syrup—that is off the table. How many people are dying from high fructose corn syrup versus how many people are dying from tobacco? I'm in favor of banning tobacco too, but yeah, but it, it, that's only because the consumption is at such different levels. If they were consumed at the same level, well, then, then tobacco would be way worse. So if we acknowledge that there's a high consumption of high fructose corn syrup, more than should be, then that should be. How about fine? But how the about level we limit of it? danger with high fructose corn syrup is pretty low. I mean, it's just the opposite. It's a similar level of danger to like sun tanning. Like no, if no, you no. sun tan every day for your whole life, you'll probably get skin we cancer. We have, but with the instant rate of. Diabetes is now significantly higher than suns than than men say melanoma or skin cancer. Yeah, because people don't go out in the sun and they do eat high fructose corn syrup every day. So then, if we know that something's being used more often and it's this damaging, clearly it should be stopped. Among it, other things that we have, just too much sugar in general. In there. Okay, but I think that employing what essentially boils down to propaganda, you know, PSAs like they did for smoking, mm -hmm. is a much more American way. Oh, forget the American way. The, what's more, it's, the reason I say that is not because, first of all, I am super anti-nationalist, but American culture will not accept the government banning something, which is so benign. Which is means it's not. This is a fun, this this is where I think we fundamentally disagree. It is fundamentally toxic. There's nothing remotely benign about it. It's it exists exclusively to exploit our physiological shortcomings, or either just how we're wired. I don't want to say. <coughs> It's, it's modeled in a way that our physiological makeup is a shortcoming. It exploits that, and then we suffer from it. And then these companies make money from something that, that can only harm us. The individual choice to consume a single serving. I don't think it's individual choice. It, people don't know why no, no, they're making the, this choice. The specific one time, the mm -hmm. individual one choice, not the choice of an individual, but the mm -hmm. individual choice of consuming high fructose corn syrup one time is extremely benign. It's no worse than, say, I don't know, eating a pot, like, let's say pop tarts. But why does it have to exist? It exists. But you're, you essentially would have to make a case to eliminate all sweets. Sure. That is ridiculous. Mm. No more scones, no more candy, no more chocolate, no more anything sweet. Like, you really can't make like that. fruit? We have fruit. Fruit's a good So fruit? you're telling me, you're trying to tell me that the entire country should be told that they are not allowed to consume sweets. No, no more desserts. I think we should, I think the entire country should be informed that the reason that they're eating anything, the reason that they're doing anything. So we agree. I'm saying that there should be a PSA, not a law. A public campaign should be made against eating so much sugar, not 
make it illegal. Making it illegal is bizarre. Not bizarre, but preposterous. It doesn't make any sense. You could never sure do it. Sure does. It's, it, you can never, be, how come you can, because the people who, for instance, look at the people who oppose the soda ban in New York City. Yeah, the soda companies. Right. But it was, ma- it was masqueraded as people claiming that the liberties are at stake because they were, they. Outlawing sweets in general. Ads were run. <laughs> outlawing were run. sweets as a whole category would get the actual regular people up in arms, not just the sugar companies. Whereas if all people knew a more natural way of eating, that's not the case. That's why I'm saying a PSA. What do we do with the PSA? The PSAs don't change values. PSAs still allow companies like What do we talk about Coca-Cola two weeks ago with advertising? Exist. It takes time. You have to plant the seed. You have to position forget, it. No, you have James, to change the way people look at forget it. Changing this, forget changing the way people look at it. There are companies that are only creating that are only creating damaging effects that they're allowed to exist and sell products. I I maintain that the American people, enough of them, would literally protest if you said Lucky Charms are now against the law. Let them protest. Yeah, but there's more of them than there are people like you. You will lose. It's a democracy. They're a bigger voting group than you are. They will be better off without these things. You don't get to make they that not, decision. <laughs> the Surgeon General should be making that decision then. There is the no- Surgeon General will be out of office because they will want it back. This is like this is like the discussion we have about cigarettes. Nobody starts smoking because that's no, why it was a public campaign, media campaign, not law. Which, well, we have the laws in terms of the age and where they're being sold. Okay, but sugar is not the same as cigarettes. Sure, it is. No, it's not the same. <laughs> it is really not the same. It's similar. I can see where you're going. It's somewhat addictive. It's not the same as cigarettes. You're right. It's in fact worse because it's being put into things that are deemed innocuous. Cigarettes, oh, maybe they're dangerous. We've known cigarettes are dangerous for for decades. Sugar being dangerous, something that's kind of here, there, oh, only diabetics can have a lot. Except we having we're having more and more diabetics. Well, it's, sugar in that case is worse than cigarettes because people every because little kids are eating it, but because infants are, is, are consuming it without, rather uh, babies when they're still in the belly are consuming it. Fetuses. Sugar is truly innocuous if you. <clears throat> are responsible raspberries no it's not even then yeah no but you're saying that if but who's responsible with sugar sugar the way sugar is manufactured and added to our into our to our food is done such a way again that it exploits our physiological to it finds things in our bodies that are shortcomings Mm -hmm. and exploits them Uh uh-huh so we want more we want more fat sugar and salt these are three things that we've had a shortage of in our natural environments before now that we can have it in abundance, we're going to eat more of it. If we eat something at, at a frequency greater than it was in our natural environment, then we will become more soft because our bodies are adapted to the initial section. Okay, so I think this is exactly like alcohol. Everything you just said also applies to alcohol. We've you been know? drinking alcohol. Animals drink alcohol. That's, Alco- right. Ana- That's why it's analogous. Alcohol exists in the wild. High fructose corn syrup does not exist in the wild. High fructose corn syrup is synthetically manufactured. It's also, it's also put in diabetes doesn't only happen because of high fructose corn syrup. Other sugars cause it too. The incident rate of, 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 if you drink Mexican Coke versus American Coke, you still get diabetes if you drink it every day. It which is why Coke shouldn't exist to begin with. It's a product that only damages. Yeah, but Coke is made with regular sugar in Mexico and it's still just as bad. I'm, I'm, a, I'm trying to, I'm in favor of banning soda entirely. All right, but that still doesn't change the fact that you'll get diabetes if you eat tons of sugar. The incidence of diabetes will increase if you eat tons of sugar, even if it's not from so corn syrup. So then cut the amount of sugar allowed to be put to, put into synthetic products. Or, yeah, but then or, you're just saying candy is illegal, and then the people will protest. 
Right. Because you you're can't taking, make because you're taking away illegal. a drug from them. You can't make candy illegal. But then you can convince people to stop eating candy. Our, that's what you keep coming back to. The media campaign is the only way to make it happen. Candy's okay once a year, twice a year, five times a year. Who the hell eats it once a year? The Amish, maybe? At best? Okay, well, maybe that's the way to go. There's definitely a, a line where you don't make it illegal, but it's reserved for special occasions. Like butt sex. I think we should cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist, but yes, we'll cut that out. <laughs> So this reminds me of a company that I have often wanted to create or go work for if it exists already, which is in your home, plants that you don't have to maintain. Essentially, like the Internet of Things, uh-huh. but for the, in the form of keeping your plants alive. Specifically, I would really love to have an herb garden, which mm-hmm. I do grow some herbs already, but I would love to be able to go to the part of my home where the basil and the thyme and the whatever else, rosemary is just sitting there and I can pick it and I don't have to worry about watering it every day and all that stuff. Like just stick a moisture sensor all the way in, stick a temperature sensor, stick a pH sensor and then hook up the water and just like, don't worry about it. This kind of exists. There's a company that has good sensors. Uh, There's another, and I, you see, there's more than one company. <laughs> this it's already no, no, no. So they they never they've never combined. They have a company that's, that makes the sensors that lets you know when to water and like what else it needs. Yep. There are other companies, and this is meant for a consumer like to to put into yeah. their. Well, it absolutely plans. exists in commercial farming, but I don't want to yeah. start a commercial farm. No, this, this is meant for consumers, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And there's another company that makes various sensor products. So a couple of months ago, I had the idea of um, one person one planet, but the E's in parentheses, so one person, one plant, to have this modular system of plants. You can get one. Plants? Plants. Okay. You can get one, and it has a very, very pretty design to it, and I have a couple of like, references of what, I, what kind of design I wanted for it to have. And then if you want, you can also get like three or four, and they all would fit together in a modular way because of the way the cases work. Mm-hmm. And there you'd, you'd know how much and the goal is to have every person to have one at least one plant on their desks at work or at home or more they would be able to know how much carbon dioxide that plant is offset and then you'd <laughs> Not see very much of right. how much we but then produce, if right. you if enough people buy it and you see the global total of how many people or you know the the national total of how many how many bits have thus far because we have made more plants uh, okay. and then it, that's it, not the marketing campaign. That's not how I would position it if I created this product, because really the solution to the carbon dioxide problem is keeping the oceans healthy. Yes. But that and all being said, I want to... Keeping down our meat consumption. And meat consumption. Yeah, okay. If you have any concern about the environment and the amount of carbon you're producing, seriously consider just reducing the amount of beef that you eat. It is the single biggest contribution to the world's carbon problem that you are probably making. Partially because of all the flatulence. There's so much methane coming out from those cows. That is not why. No, really, that's, it's a massive amount. No, it's beca- it part- but that's not why it's a huge problem. Partially. It's because they have this one young, so tons of cows have to be alive. Right. And it's because then we eat the cows and it's extremely inefficient. I think you need 1,000 gallons of water to make one pound of beef. And 500 pounds, and this I didn't know about, 500 gallons of water for, for one pound of rice to grow. Hmm. Yeah, but... The water that passes through the beef production probably comes out a lot less clean. Yeah. Because rice, I mean, yeah, the rice has to sit in water, but most of that water just evaporates and then rains down again. Mm -hmm. 
But let's get back to the topic at hand. What I really want is herbs, things that I essentially am going to eat. It's not about just, I don't really care about the carbon. Like my, my carbon situation is not going to really be affected all that much by a houseplant. It's going to offset less than 1% of the carbon I produce. So it's really not, it's way less than 1%, let's be honest. So my existence produces way, way more carbon. Ooh, how many plants do you want to have in your house? Less than 100. <laughs> and then there's my wife, so 200. I, don't have, I literally don't have enough space for 200 plants. What if you had vines on your walls? If, my, if I turned my house into a jungle, I would still not be offsetting my carbon contribution. I just had a fantastic idea. Anyway, I want to turn my house into a jungle. It's about food. You appreciate food, right? Yes. Fresh herbs and things, tomatoes, vegetables, etc. Wouldn't it be great if that was growing at your home and you didn't have to dedicate a lot of time to it? There's a company that's come. I'm, I have the I have the image in my head, but I don't know what it is. Of a company that had uh, exactly this. You can grow herbs in your in your house. They have. There's one, there's two come come to mind. One of them is Sprouts.io. That's the company. They allow you to um, have hydroponic um, automated growth management and network communications. Does that mean there's no soil? I believe so. Yeah, they make there's no soil. It's That's made cool, in Detroit, cause... and they have positions in Detroit and I believe in Massachusetts, VP of Software Engineering. Oh, positions available. Yes. All right, folks, that's our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> and mobile application developers. Yes, For the record, we, we don't have sponsors. But we could. Hey, Sprouts. But we'll link, you them. we'll link them in the show notes, and then hopefully they'll maybe can bring them on someday to chat about their awesome invention. That would be awesome. Okay, so do you... I actually know very little about growing things, but yes. I suspect that all the bugs that I get as a result of having plants are because of the soil. Like, I get little flying, yeah. annoying things when I keep plants in my house that Wait, have soil. Do you have fruit out on the table ever? Like, do you have a fruit bowl? Um, no, I keep it in the fridge. Okay. Because my roommate, I've noticed that... I know fruit flies obviously yeah. come off fruit, but this seems to be related to if there is a live plant with soil in the apartment or other sitting water, like any, anything that's moist and always around. So I have a fish tank now, which I didn't used to have. With plants growing in it. And, and it just kind of showed up there? Well, I mean, my wife bought it. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, once we had... it's So it's this like... Uh, it's like a fish tank, and then it's got like a little plastic thing up top, and the water cycles from in the fish tank up to the plastic thing on top, and there's plants growing, like water plants growing up in the top. And then the water trickles back down into the fish tank. It's supposed to be like a full ecosystem. And um, so I thought that was cool. I thought that was like a nifty way to almost achieve my goal. But then the plants require tons of maintenance. <laughs> like, they don't just grow in there. Like, you constantly have to be, like, cleaning out the thing and doing fish crap and, like, feeding the fish. They're automatic. I mean, aren't there some kind of automatic things? Yeah, I mean, like, dude, you're going to have a kid eventually, right? Yeah, but I'll care about the kid. I just want food that's fresh. So I don't, eat your fish. I don't want to. No, the fish are, like, literally one inch long. Like, way too small to be worth eating. <laughs> I mean, even if I ate all the fish I currently own, I would still be hungry. And then I would have no fish left. Like, they're anchovy-sized, and there's only three. Three anchovies is, is a steady. I mean, you generally have that with. Um, I mean, it's not a meal. I certainly couldn't eat a fish every day out of my fish tank, that's for sure. <laughs> um, though, uh, my fish did have baby fish. 
So I have three full-size fish. This, this is the good part about animals. They, they, they spread. On the subject of eating things you don't really eat, there is a, a bug uh, fest coming up soon. For eating bugs? Mm-hmm. On November 4th. We'll link that in the show notes. I uh, hear that's quite common throughout the world, except for not here. Yes. Um, here being New York and the, the United States The United States. I mean, there's that one food that we, I believe we discussed this, EXO, the cricket flower food bar. Yeah, but I, that's pretty niche. Very I mean, it's not that you can't buy like chocolate covered ants in the United States, but it's not like super popular. I mean, if they use cricket flour as a protein source as opposed to like just to make a, a niche bar, I think they could get more traction with it. I don't know. It's made out of crickets. That that's going to put people off, right? But I mean, they're 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 entering a very very crowded environment. Like, oh, well, I want a a a, a bar that gives me the following things. It's gluten free though, isn't it? Yeah, there's many gluten free bars. But what or if I don't want something sweet? Maybe it tastes better than other flowers. Who knows? Cricket, not, not by that. Cricket I'm not sure bread. If, I'm not sure if they'll pronounce that much. Like for now, my I have now added a new ingredient to my morning cereal. I also now add hemp seeds, which is great. I, what, what's your morning cereal primarily composed of? Um, corn, buckwheat, amaranth, flax. So why do you put corn in there? Well, no, it's made of corn. It's oh. like the, the sorry. So the actual cereal is corn, amaranth, buckwheat, flax, and um, I think that's it. I find that you have so many negative opinions of the oh. U.S. form, like corn agriculture. It's, this is organic corn. It's still corn. Right, but it's not genetically, genetically modified corn. So corn's all cool. If we make high fructose corn syrup out of nope. non-GMO nope. Nope. corn, it's all nope. good? Nope. I don't... If corn... The issue is that corn is used to then feed everything else. Like corn's used to feed cattle and they could be eating grass instead, mm. which is why it ruins our, our meat because... That's another fun fact. Most of the corn that's grown... Is fed to cattle. Yes. Like literally the majority, if I'm remembering correctly. It is like you know what? I will look that up. Listeners, just I scroll believe down it is those in show fact notes. Most. You'll find the answer. And then you also have a substantial amount of it being used for ethanol, which is not very efficient either. Yeah, but at least it's sustainable. I mean, we can keep growing corn. We can't keep digging up dinosaurs. We're going to run out. <laughs> that million-year process is not keeping up with our demand. It's a shame we spend so much time stagnating because it's, of industry, because of... I think... That is a semi-incorrect statement that we spend a lot of time stagnating. Mm -hmm. Harvesting the energy that already exists has allowed us to propel forward other things. It's more, it's more like the fulcrum of a lever than it is like, like we're just not moving forward at all. The fact that we're getting energy out of fossil fuels has allowed us to propel lots of things forward because we don't have to worry so much about the energy. Yes, but we spend so much time not worrying about it that it's not catching up to us. We sure. should. Well, we we assume we can rely on one thing for that long, and I yeah. think that's a very. If the entire world had said, you know what, we're not going to build computers because they're too power hungry, and fossil fuels are not an acceptable way to generate that power, so we're just going to wait. No, as in, as soon as we do something, we should then start looking for alternatives to it. I mean, better resources. People have been talking about. I mean, electric cars have existed for a long, long time, and electric has just not been a viable option. If we spent more time investing research into it and resources, I think it would have been. I mean, look again, look at the space program. If we spent, we have many things that came from it. And there That's was a true. reason to develop things. We had a massive push. There just hasn't, there, for the longest time, there hasn't, things are created. Innovation is a mother, sorry, necessity is a mother invention. Mm -hmm. We haven't had a necessity for it because we think, oh, there's, there's, a, there's abundance of it, therefore we can rely on it indefinitely. But we do have a necessity. It's just that it's not. 
we didn't have a necessity for locomotion, right? Trains, cars, etc. They could work fine with fossil fuels. But in other areas, for instance, like solar panels have been getting better because there are cases where fossil fuels are not a solution. Solar panels have been getting better because people now... I remember there maybe That's not the only reason, though. I mean, solar panels were invented for a reason. Like, Well, they weren't invented for a reason. They were discovered, basically. But the improvements that have been made to solar panels have paid dividends. And like, you can use solar panels for things that you can't use fossil fuels for. For instance, if you go in the desert, you can continue getting right. energy perpetually. <laughs> and the, on the Mongolian steppe, it's what they use. This is obviously nowhere to plug into. They use a lot of... Uh... Well, that's what I'm getting at. So, like, fossil fuels aren't a solution for everything. And in the places where they're not a solution, they're still necessity and they're still innovation. The issue is that we don't have, there is no necessity for it on a large enough scale. If your necessity is a, a small encounter, you'll say, well, how much do I really need to power myself in on the Mongolian steppe? Eh, this much. I would need this much to power me anywhere else. For that, I'm going to use fuel. If you say, look, fuel's not an option. Let's make something else. Then you'll start banging your head against the wall and figure out what, what can you do. I know you're, you're not a particular capitalist which may be an understatement, but (laughs) capitalism really does give you a neat solution to that, which is it doesn't have to be good enough. Forget capitalism. If we can survive, then there's nothing to be bought or sold. We're just going to be gone. Yeah, but... And we, we, as you said, necessity is the, what is it? The mother, mother invention? of invention? Yes. It, we have necessity to stay alive. If we feel, if we are sufficiently egotistical that we want to stay alive, we should probably do something soon. But you know what works really good? Really Investing. well, James. <laughs> no, this works with goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I, I guess I can see that part. It's, um, <clears throat> you can invest in new technology before there is a need for it with capitalism. Because you're, in, you're essentially betting on the future. If you can look into the future and see the problems that will arise from a current technology, you can invest in its successor and disrupt it. This is something that could never happen with any other system. Partially because if the powers that be don't think that something is necessary, without an economic incentive for someone who isn't a power t- currently to do anything forget, about it... Forget an economic... The goal is not to make money on this. The goal is to survive. Yeah, but money gives you an incentive to look to the future. If you disagree with what's going on, you have recourse and you have an ample motivation you don't just make lots of noise. You can actually make money on it. You can get investors to, to give you backing. It's not a perfect system, but, I mean, it does solve the problem. It does work. I mean, Solar City exists. Solar City would... To- it's growing. It's growing well. Solar City would never exist under any other system other than capitalism. Sure it will. Solar City would exist under, under a, a scenario in which compassion scientists rule the world. No, because power would corrupt them compassion scientists with a with a keen sense of awareness of impending doom if they make anything that's not compassionate that sounds like skynet no i don't think so compassionate scientists with an impending sense of doom (laughs) from what (laughs) if they make any missteps and what would the doom come from what would enforce the doom the other the the less compassionate scientists (laughs) the uh okay so the compassionate scientists would become corrupted but make, make one bad if, decision, if, and then the uncompassionate scientist would rule the, rule the world. If someone's compassionate scientist, to maintain that title, they cannot make a mistake. Okay, let's say this happens. No. Let's say you have great compassionate scientists, and this is all perfect, and they are uncorruptible. They won't live forever. 
How do you... You how train does, more. You, you raise more. You raise an entire global culture of values. The likelihood of the first generation of compassionate, incorruptible scientists is so low already, and now you're, you're trying to bank on it generation after generation? I th- I'm optimistic. I think there's still hope. If we decide we want to save ourselves, not destroy ourselves, then yes, there's hope. I mean, hasn't China tried that? I don't think they've tried that. Look at their look at their cities. There you have you have high rises coming up. You have them. You have not now. They're not trying it now. No. They were trying it before they accepted capitalism. Before, if the cat catches mice, it's a good cat. Oh, uh, I guess I'll link that quote just in case anyone isn't familiar. What's, what's the context to that? Um, you know, I'm very unfamiliar, but essentially, someone in the Chinese politic said of capitalism or of market systems in general, if the cat catches mice, it's a good cat, as a metaphor for I'm not too attached to a a particular political system as long as it works. Or economic system, I guess. Political and economic systems are kind of combined, linked, related, something. Somebody with power in China. (laughs) Yes. The power to make decisions about whether or not capitalism was acceptable for the entire country. Look, if we had slightly more conscious capitalism, that that and being favored, that I think it's capitalism as it is now in terms of things, people being incentivized to create something that's meant to be consumed and not something that would better people's lives. People are not dumb. Yes, they are. are they don't you realize. Dumb? <laughs> I'm sure I am. Well, so how can you judge everyone else? I think that the things that I've come across, in some ways. Allow me to present an opinion, which I'm eager to have someone disprove, if they can sufficiently disprove it, with better evidence and better understanding of something else. That there's a certain way that we're living now that's not that's not compatible. What what we've done up to this point has gone to us where we are now, and right now we are miserable. We live in I cities think that's that are an making overstatement. We live in we live in cities that we, that are making us sick. We have economic strife. We have an Im- immense imbalance between power structure, quality of life, and resource exploitation in different parts of the world, even sometimes in the same city. <clears throat> resource exploitation is a necessary component of progress. You can't make progress without exploiting resources. What's progress? Uh, progress, without res- progress without a limit on resource exploitation isn't progress. It's moving towards an unsustainable future. Progress is making things better on the whole for everyone, making on average the quality of life for other for the human race better. I think that's really the only definition of progress you can actually work with. And you just have to accept I don't think that it's better if we... Well, I agree. Like, if we destroy the planet, that does not make it better for everyone. But destroying the planet, that, that, that seems like... An, the, I, I, there seems to be a, a lack of... I guess, process awareness that doing these things will contribute to this. Right now, it seems like it's nothing at all. But it's like death by a thousand cuts. You take one cut, you think it's, oh, it's okay. A thousand more, the person's dead. Mm -hmm. I think it's a Chinese way of execution, death by a thousand cuts. I don't know, but it, I mean, the metaphor holds regardless of who invented it. Yes. Or Chinese water torture, for instance. So Which Chinese. doesn't actually kill you, so I don't know. No, one. but it, it gets to the point where it's so terrible that you want to just die. I'm trying to imagine a world where everyone is still here, but it's so terrible that everyone wants to die. It's kind of hard to imagine. Well, how many people are depressed in, in, this, in cities? You have 
antidepressants and mood alteration drugs, like legally prescribed ones, are now the most prescribed medicine of all, I mean, drug of all time. At any given point in time, more people are on medication than that. Okay. I mean, that certainly points to a problem, but what exactly the problem is, we don't know. If we knew exactly what the problem was, it would be relatively easy to remedy. There are many problems in the city, many of which stem from that we are being extricated from a natural environment or environments that couldn't be replicated to be natural. If you're in an office environment where you have space for privacy, space for quiet time, space for solitude, space for reflection, space for lots of movement. But there's also <clears> the <throat> aspect of like sort of, I don't know what to call it, the early human, whatever, small societies, tribal society mm -hmm. where you kind of don't have privacy. Like the, the whole idea of privacy in space sort of doesn't exist in some tribal cultures because it's everything is a commons. There is no personal property. Yes, this is true. But if you th so this is something that I... So I, I hesitate to say that space and privacy and, I don't know, that that's the key. Like if you just, if you just took these depressed people and dropped them in the woods and no one was near them, that, every, that their wait, problems wait, wait, wait. would go away. Dropping them in the woods... Well, in a cabin, I don't know, whatever. No, no, no. Dropping them in a natural environment would help them, yes. Would it? Absolutely. You think yes. they'd be happy? Yes. On a permanent basis? No. No, 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 I'm saying there's a shortage of natural environments. People feel better when they go into a natural place to, and they walk around there. But we, Movement, need a we need a solution on a permanent basis. Yes, which means we have, to, we, we have to change the way we design our apartment buildings and our workspaces. So people are more mobile and people encounter nature more often. We have or to, we could we just have, evolve. No. We don't evolve to that. We've, if we, here's, here's a really big issue. If we change our genetics by breeding this way, knowing that we are so dissatisfied with how things are now, that the only way to fix it is to, let me backtrack. Instead of being faithful to the environment that we grew up in, we decided to create a new one. Now we think it's within our right as a species to collectively change how we interact with the environment. And we say, well, listen, this, X is the way the environment used to be. Y is the environment that we've built. So let's reproduce further and, and, and select for people who can survive in Y environment. I think that gonna, we created. Yes. Having for our own benefit. Having little, but the, what we've created could be, could, be, could be iterated upon and improved. Sure, and people are. Which is why biophilic design is a very big deal. Biophilia being that you embrace the amount of nature and well, biophilia, literally, from the love of... If it has real benefit, it will get widely accepted and used. If people truly... Apartment buildings are widely accepted and used. It's not the best way to live. But it's better than what we were doing before, given the constraints. Yes. But now there are better ways to do it. Like, the apartment buildings of today are better than the tenements of the Industrial Revolution, for instance. Yes, because you don't have six families per room. Yeah, and we have, like, sewage and electricity. I mean, there's so many things that are better. <laughs> I mean, we are improving. Everything is getting better. If you would like to contribute to the improvement, like, not you specifically, but anyone. Like, Dear listeners, it's the world. The world will we accept it. You. <laughs> I mean, everyone wants their life to be improved. If you can say, I'll give you X improvement for Y cost, and they say, huh, that's worth it, it will Forget gain. Y cost. Everything I costs something. There's a there's a cost to change even if even if there's the overall certain, cost is lower. There's a certain element which is what I, what I what I want to argue for is that there's a certain I guess inalienable right that we have not yet professed to being vital that everybody should have access to which is what a natural environment. 
to be locked up in, in an office with formaldehyde-ridden carpet. I think you're missing the fact that most places you can live are cheaper than the cities. People want to be in the cities. People move to cities because they have nowhere else to be. That's because, like, but you can live. And then you would miss out on, on vast amounts of things that you wouldn't have anywhere but the city. That's, that's the thing. The benefit of the city is so compelling that people are willing to give up the privacy and the space. Without realizing that it's going to affect them so poorly. You can create a city that is more conducive to human health. You could. Space it out. I would say that New York Not is have one dump of the trucks ones. picking crap up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Not have Does construction crews delivering things at 12 o'clock at night next to residential areas. It's just separate residential from business, from everything else, more thoroughly. Mixing the two, I think, is a disaster. Yeah, but that is a goal. I mean, city planners don't want to mix residential and commercial. They try not to. They're not doing a good job. Well, it's hard. They, there should be nothing... Nothing should be more valuable than sleep. I don't know. <laughs> That's not true for everyone. <laughs> then their priorities are in disarray. No, I mean, you're especially sensitive. Yes. Because I don't have trouble. Like, I don't know. I live in New York City, too. This is not a problem for me. I'm, I'm especially not sensitive. Like, I think out of everyone that I know, I'm one of the less sensitive people. And this is something that, that's been a recurring theme in our discussions, because you always say how when you work, you can work for hours on end, and it doesn't really matter to you what you kind of things you eat. No, uh, it does matter. I'm, I am sensitive to food. I'm uh-huh. just... It's just... Like when you're feeling sluggish earlier because you had a sandwich with gluten in it? I'm still feeling sluggish. I think I just didn't... I don't know. Get enough sleep? You know what? I actually know why I feel sluggish today. Because I had a very unfulfilling work day. I ah. literally had nothing to do all day. Then why'd you... Sh- but you had an, uh, but you had an honest day of work. No, I didn't. Day. Exactly. But you were at work as if it was an honest day of work. Well, that's the thing. There was nobody there. So I like didn't have things to do. I was like in that mode where you're like, well, if I don't do anything, I'm going to feel guilty. So let me try and make up something that will marginally benefit the, comf- benefit the company. Maybe possibly I'll just, I don't know, this project might help somebody. <laughs> I think the mo- healthiest thing they can have you do at that point is go for a walk. Just go home. No, no, go for a walk because then you think like, okay, look, I'm on company time. I want to contribute something to this company. Let me go for a walk so I can start thinking of ideas of things I can do. For well, this I company. did that at my desk. Honestly, sitting Which doesn't... is not the best time to do these things. Sitting doesn't bother me. I'm not sensitive to the walking thing. For, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I am, but I actually I... walk for almost an hour a day. So it's like not... I, I, it's part of my life. I think it'd be wonderful for you to live for a month the way I live. To see if you'd actually have any improvements. I mean, I've lived in... Like, for instance, I've gone on a week hike where I literally walk all day and eat natural food all day and, like... Don't even sit down, basically. And I don't feel... Oh, that is the life. I know, it's the life that you yearn for, but it doesn't especially make me feel happier. I enjoy spending time with the people who are there with me, and it's nice to have a break from the constant interruptions of, like, tech life. But in terms of just, like, the walking and the food, like, eh. What makes you the happiest? Or what what are the things that make you happy? Working on a meaningful project. Working on something and thinking it matters. Creating. Creating meaningful work. doesn't need to be creating. It just needs to be working. Working towards a meaningful goal. Something that I think is meaningful. What are Literally, if... I don't know. I, there's lots of things. For instance, if I spent all day making this hydroponic system mm-hmm. that was perfect, like the iPhone of hydroponic systems, which is just a delight to use and mm-hmm. very nice to look at and just great in all the ways that the people who buy it want it to be, that would be fulfilling work to me. To be honest... 
some of the work that I do now is fulfilling to me. But days when I have nothing to do, not so much. So you have short-term fulfilling things. What are the longer-term? What are the general topics? Don't you think that I'm the hydroponic thing falls in that group? But that just came up today. No, I've been thinking about it for a while. I brought it up today. Yes. So what progress have you made on that? Zero. I don't think I can really do it within the other constraints of what I want for my life. I don't, I don't want to go and raise venture capital and stop working on the startup I'm already working on just so I can... What if you linked up with somebody who had access to some finances and was hardware inclined, mechanically I, inclined? I mean, I'm mechanically inclined. I built robots. I just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to do it right now. I want it to exist more than I want to do it myself. It would be fulfilling work. Lots of things are fulfilling work to me. But I don't want to do that particular work right at this moment. I want someone else to do it so I could just give them money. <laughs> <laughs> I want the result. Like, it would be fulfilling work, but it's not the only fulfilling work. But wouldn't that be more fulfilling than working for the company that you contract for now? Well, today was an especially bad day because no one was there. Right. Like, they still asked me to come in, but no one else was really there that I work with, so there wasn't much to do. Also, that's not the only work I'm doing right now. I only work there a few days a week. So what if you were to leave the contracting work, you'd have the, the startup that, you work, that you're the CTO of, and then you work on this project instead, and you start tinkering around, and spend the entire, spend the entire day tinkering. And then it could be supremely happy. You'd be working using all your skills, your design, your thinking, your, your, your tinkering, your, your, your hands-on projects, you daydreaming. How can this work? How would this be designed? What would you want it to look like? It sounds great, but I have been in periods of my life where I tinker a lot with hardware, and mm -hmm. hardware is an extremely frustrating medium. Yes. Because Maddie thing, shared her insights in this one. I appreciate her for that. I mean, I've been in that exact situation. Yeah. You're like, oh man, this is so awesome. Like when it's working, it's great. But then you're, you want to make an improvement and you realize you need to order something and it's going to take two weeks to show up. Uh -huh. And then you're like, well, now I can't make any more incremental progress for two weeks. And that's extremely disheartening. That, that creates 14 days like I had today. <laughs> right. And, so, and so like software is great. I really enjoy working on software because you can almost guarantee you're going to have a fulfilling day every day as long as you're in control of your destiny. Meaning, but like you, said, meaning you get to thing. choose the projects. If you get to choose the projects, you're going to have fulfilling days all the time. <sighs> and it's like the incremental, even things that take a long time, things software people complain about, like compiling and stuff, they take like 10 minutes. Like the downtime is, oh, I have to wait 10 minutes. It's not two weeks. So much better. I was reading Spencer Wells' uh, Pandora's Seed. Like that in the show notes. And it was a book about Paleolithic cultures, and I've been doing a lot of research on exactly this lately. Because? Of my w interest in doubling down on health, wellness, environment, place, nutrition, just cultural societies, how they were different back in the day than they are now. See if I can find those kernels of ancient truth. See, I think that the whole idea of ancient truth is kind of a fallacy. Well, to see what was functional there that is, that is not functional now, to combine that with what's functional now that wasn't functional then. Which is why one of my favorite books is Jonathan Haidt's The Happiness Hypothesis, like that in the show notes as well, because he took 10 of the world's biggest kind of uh, life theories that, that kept popping up in universal cultures, or universally kept popping up in various cultures, or at least frequently enough for it to become a certain distinct kernel of truth and, and compared that to with modern research and what that says about these things. Romantic love, meditation, finance, happiness, etc. Finance levels rather than, you know, accumulation of wealth. And in it, Spence, so in, in the Pandora Seed, Spencer Wells discusses how 
the original affluent society, and he was quoting another, another person who presented, used that term at, at a symposium, was the Paleolithic, the hunter-gatherer society, because they were free to do, they had more free time, they slept more, they, they, reveal, they regaled more, they also had a broader diversity of activities to do. Many of them did more things, they didn't have as much specialization. Mm-hmm. And this is... What you just mentioned now about the type of work that you like doing, you like to have something more, you like to do different things. This is why specialization always scares me, because I, I worry that I might get locked in doing just one thing, and I like doing different things, and people inherently like doing many different things at once. Right. I'm always doing lots of things at once. Right. And I'm wondering if you would have more fun with that had you been working on a physical project, for instance. I Honestly, I don't think so. Because I could have pursued that further, and I got frustrated with it. I was like, I got into software because of that. I mean, it was a hardware and software project. Like, robots don't work on just hardware. <laughs> oh, let's, not, let's be honest. I was writing software way before the robot stuff, too. But it, the software is so... The fact that you can be making progress... Every day, you can look at some chunk of progress that you've made, and you don't get that with hardware. Some days, you don't, you don't feel like you made progress. Or some days, you're just waiting. <clears throat> well... I guess the question is, how do you evaluate what progress is and what it's supposed to feel like? Sometimes I think progress is me spending a day being idle. Bertrand Russell has a great essay on the... Oh, you don't think I have idle days? <laughs> we'll link Bertrand Russell's essay on idleness in the show notes. Um, I'm sure you do, but I, I find that to be various, I find those to be vastly productive. I think those days are some of the best days I have. Because it takes time to just vegetate and to synthesize things, to read, to muse, to play. These are things that you need. You can't be productive just by sitting in an office at the computer doing one thing and thinking this way, and being told this is where you should. This is where you should be doing all your work. Your work gets done in more than one place, and specifically more than one place than just at your desk. Uh, let me. I have. I think gr- we're going to wrap up the show pretty soon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let me leave you with a question. Maybe we'll pick it up next episode. If you look at a species, mm-hmm. say like meerkats or something, <laughs> and you wanted to judge like how happy are these species in their environment, like how well are the meerkats as a whole doing, a reasonable metric would be population. Don't you think? Like if they're healthy and they're happy, they're, they'll be reproducing. No. So how would you measure it? <clears throat> well, happiness of a population. <sighs> if the population is shrinking, you would consider that to be an unhappy population surely it doesn't shrink because it's committing suicide it's shrinking because it might uh, it's shrinking because they're not happy enough to reproduce they're not they don't feel comfortable enough or safe enough or they're not well fed enough i mean animals when they're <clears throat> happy and healthy and safe reproduce i don't know if that's a safe assessment i mean animals for instance the reason we're the only one of the only animals that you know, who's who intentionally tries to delay orgasm, for instance. So an animal, it's more natural for animals to, for male animals to ejaculate almost instantly because the threat of a predator coming when they're in this uh, exposed, vulnerable, I mean, physically vulnerable to dangerous Something state. that can only happen when you have no predators. <laughs> yeah. So if you have, I mean, I think animals under pressure would be more inclined to reproduce because they are worried about their survival, so they want to have offspring. They have a biological predilection to reproducing, and therefore they would do that. It's not because of their, their happiness. I mean, if, if a population is decreasing, it's not because they're unhappy, but because certain, something in, the, in their general ecosystem is affecting them, in the food web. There may be it's a certain seasonal shift. So, for instance, right now, 
you have bird because of weather pattern changing birds come back earlier when bugs aren't at their peak in their growth so bugs get cut like, in terms of, like the if you plot the chart of the amount of birds in an area and the amount of bugs in the area it used to overlap very well and now that was skewed a little bit so you have birds coming in when bugs are not yet at their peak and the bugs are being cut down population wise too soon so populations are kept in kept in, and this is a very this is a very very much a simplification so of, when the birds are not <coughs> well fed because there's not that many bugs don't you think they're on less happy you just have fewer you just have a smaller population of birds eventually and you also have a small population and of bugs. I sure don't like dying well they die uh, in terms of unha- <laughs> in terms of unhappiness and again this is also from the Spencer Wells book everything related with population <laughs> shrinkage is something that you can very easily tie to unhappiness and everything that leads I, well, I to population know. growth you can tie to happiness I so easily I don't know how safe it is to say that certain species are unhappy in their natural environments they're unhappy when they're out of their natural environments you could tell when it's say a, uh, certain animals are depressed because they're like you know mopey zoo lions that's a that's like that's a, that's a thing and that's why they don't reproduce <clears throat> in zoos yeah because they're not in their natural environment they're not doing what they sh- they those animals are depressed I don't know about other animals in nature I mean there's I mean, there's the there's the the pandas they're not necessarily producing. People are wonder, worried that they might uh, die out. But I don't know if those are pandas, specific type of pandas in a zoo or in a natural environment. But I know there, there are some animals that try to do this. So maybe to some extent you're right. They don't have enough interaction. And then it's been Spencer Rose's book. He mentions how, and this is, I guess, a theory, <clears throat> that before we started planting things, we didn't really think that much about the future. Now we have to start worrying about the future. Uh-huh. How, would, how, would, how would what I do now impact tomorrow? That's where worrying came from. We're now worried about what happens tomorrow as opposed to, I'll provide for myself today, I'll provide for myself tomorrow. I can live off the land, I know where to go. I'm not going to be this savage brute, which is how, we've been, how, which, how they've been misdescribed as. Worried is a, an emotion of engagement, not necessarily unhappiness. Worrying can cause a significant amount of unhappiness. I mean, being that's, very worried can make you unhappy. But being concerned, thinking like about the possibilities and... That doesn't necessarily, I mean, I, I am concerned about the possibilities of the future without being unhappy, for instance. The, so like, m- you can weigh the, the pros and the cons mm-hmm. of your choices without having to right. be unhappy. So, stress is an example. So worry is an example of stress. Stress that we had in the wild is fight or flight in the now. The stress that we have now, it's harming us so much more because we have it perpetually. So we're in a state of, of, we're in a state of stress over time, over a time that we've never experienced before. And so I think animals also experience some of this. You have, when you have exposed, when you're exposed to a high amount of stress for a long period of time, you are subjecting your, your organism or an organism is subjected to a degree of harm from chemicals that are me- from hormones that are meant to help it in the moment, but harm it in the future, harm it in the long term. So, cortisol is occurs when you have high when you're stressed. Cortisol being a stress hormone. Yeah, for the listeners. When you have a lot of that, that's what causes sleep patterns to be disrupted. That's what causes digestion to be disrupted. That's what causes, I believe even hair to fall out. It's a higher amount of stress. If you manage your stress, and if you're in an environment that isn't, doesn't have many stressors, stressors including noise, too much light, inopportun- uh, unfavorable environments. So areas where you can't move around, areas where you don't get what you need, like places like cities. But everyone has different <clears throat> stressors. 
There like are, most of the things you have listed are not even like on my top list. Those are all pretty near the bottom of my list. Uh, I wonder if I still think there's some universal biological stressors. Literally, like so. Just for an example, mm-hmm. knowing that my mother is angry with me is more stressful to me than any of the things you just listed. Nature versus nurture. So there you're in a nurture... And that's not even especially stressful for me. I'm just giving an example. Oh, I thought it was particularly stressful for you. No, I mean, it's it's more stressful than having a noise or lights around me. No, neither of those things really bother me at all. <laughs> like, if my mom is really upset with me, that it bothers me somewhat. Mm-hmm. Whereas having noises and sounds and stuff around me only bothers me if I'm already bothered by something else. Like, I have to have a, a, an existing stress level for those things to get, get to me at all. In fact, interpersonal stressors are for me, like the entire top list. Interpersonal stressors are the pretty much the only thing that stresses me out a lot quickly. What's the example of interpersonal stress? Because you strike me as a particularly easygoing individual yeah. with habits that aren't very... Because, and that's informed by what stresses me out. I, I have adapted to my environment. <laughs> I don't have a lot of interpersonal stresses mm-hmm. because they bother me more than other stresses. I avoid them more strongly. Which is why I avoid, which is why I try to avoid others, environmental stresses more strongly. I try to avoid not being in environments that don't, that don't have enough flight or, or uh, quiet or nature. Okay, so I think we've solidly confirmed that each person has different things that stress them out. <sighs> Unless you've had a baseline of stress that you weren't aware of. Which comes from having certain sense. But we're not talking about absolute levels. We're talking about relative levels. And I'm telling you that the relative amount of stress that I get from different kinds of things is different. Right. But if you're, yes. So relative to other things, something might spike your cortisol levels higher. But if your cortisol was at, say, uh, this this is a non-scientific measurement of 10, yeah, it's your baseline. Just speak in percentage terms. If it is at 10% of peak cortisol level perpetually <laughs> just based off your natural environment that's higher if you, you could remove that by adjusting your environment a little bit but again you also live in a place where you i think you hear birds sometimes in the mornings occasionally yes that's terrific you know what though noises don't bother me so i can be perfectly fine although i don't really hear dumb truck dumb you know what? Noises bother me if it interrupts me. <laughs> Interruptions are another thing that stress me out way more mm-hmm. than other things. So like a dump truck walking by, walking, a dump truck driving by doesn't really bother me unless it's so noisy that I can't hear something that I'm trying to hear. Mm-hmm. So if someone is speaking to me and I can't hear them because of the truck, mm-hmm. then I'm pissed off. But at any volume lower than that, I don't care at all. Earlier today, I met with somebody who was, well, I met with a team and one of them was an engineer and the engineer was the oddest one on the team. He, surprise which and this is this is why i wanted to say like, you, you you even you joked like oh i'm not surprised like this is something like you know of all things yes this i think is such a massive difference in terms of personality of the, the biz versus dev personality you are a very technical logical um pragmatic individual whereas i'm more i think pragmatism is not something that i'd bundle with the other ones pragmatism i'd yeah, say is right. more of the biz side and i kind of pride myself on being pragmatic you are a very logical, um, syst- systematic thinker, whereas okay. I'm far more. You're, you are more governed. Your your thought process is more governed by a logical flow. My thought process is governed by a lot more emotional flow. Doesn't that concern you? No, 
I mean, I, which isn't to say that but you're I, not guaranteed. You're not, it's so much harder to adjust the way you think when you realize that your thinking is not accurate, when you depend on intuition. I've been served right by my intuition more times than I've been served wrong. Well, that's by. the beauty of intuition. I mean, that's Kahneman's whole thing. Like, right. system one exists because it's fast and it's usually right. Mm -hmm. But when it's wrong, if you can't correct it, you're not in a good place. Which is why. And which is why it's very important for, which is why I'd rather have this and then figure out ways to, 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 uh, to, uh, adjust for it than to, and this is, I guess, because I'm more familiar with this than to go from your perspective. Cause I can't, I can't imagine me in an environment where I would not be sensitive to something because that means that I am not aware of things that sh I should not be engaged in. I'd rather be in an environment where I know that I, this is, this is a nasty thing for me. I don't want it to be, for it to be there. I absolutely do that though. Like I hardly consume any sweets at all. Like, despite all my defending of corn syrup, I consume basically none of it. Mm -hmm. It's just that I don't think you could ever outlaw it. You would have zero success with that. It's not that I disagree Challenge that it's... accepted. It's not that I think it's a bad idea that people consume no corn syrup. It's that I don't think the approach of banning it is going to be a success. I don't think you're going to actually accomplish that goal, which makes it... So, like, let's... How about a new solution to that problem? Because that solution isn't going to work. To dismantle Coca-Cola? I don't necessarily see a problem with Coca-Cola existing. I see a problem People with... People consume it. That's a, that's a problem that exists. I see a problem with Coca-Cola as an institution. Like, the, the idea of Coca-Cola being something you consume every day? Yeah, that's a problem. People consuming Coca-Cola ever? That's fine. But according to our capitalist society, of how, or how we currently view capitalism, Coca-Cola, it's their prerogative and their responsibility to... Make sure everybody drinks at least one Coke a day because that's how they make more or money. Or more. Or, oh. Yes, or more. But isn't that the beauty of quantified self as a movement in general? No. I mean, if I, you measure how much sugar you're consuming every day and then compare it to how much you really ought to be, it makes it, it puts a stark contrast. And then you start noticing, like, wow, I am kind of feeling not but that that's, great. But how many. You can only. Not enough people know why they're consuming something. And they are now being misled to the point they're getting sick. Quantified self is... Okay, so let me tell but you a story. But how many people are involved in quantified self? Let me tell you James, about... James, you are, you are so, for, too far, so far right of the, of the bell curve, of so far on the right side of the bell curve, that it, this, these issues don't, don't concern you. There are people who are... There are billions of people. Everyone, almost everyone. I would say 95% of the population is smart enough to participate in quantified self and reap the same benefits that I did by going on daily burn and seeing what I was eating and how it was affecting me. The only difference is I'm a tech early adopter, which lowered the barrier to entry into that particular product and that whole movement in general. But that's a problem of the technology. The technology can get easier to use. Give people technology that's easy. I mean, the iPhone is a smartphone. 15 years ago, if you said email on every phone, you, people would tell you, no, that would never gain mass adoption. And here we are. If you make the technology better, it can get mass adoption. And the gains from quantified self in terms of health are so much bigger than email on your phone. Okay. I don't think that the solution for people, the easiest way to fix health is to make healthy the healthy option the easiest choice. And the way to do that is, is to, to show eliminate the unhealthy choice. People don't see the gain. The reason they don't see the the reason they don't change their behavior is they don't see the benefit. Show them the benefit and they'll change their behavior. I don't know that's true. If you tell people, "Hey, like at, at a specific moment, do you want this cookie or do you want to feel good?" And to them they're like, eh, "I'm going to feel good when I'm eating the cookie." 
But if you point out that they're going to feel bad for six hours and you can prove it to them over and over again, eventually they internalize that. That's how it worked for me. You start to realize like, oh, wow, I'm eating a whole lot of sugar. Like, that's not good. And then they try, you know, meeting the levels that are actually healthy. And sure enough, they feel better. <laughs> like, it's not rocket science. It's not even hard to understand, really. And lots of people have gotten there. Fitness is not a niche thing. It's pretty broadly popular. Like, the people who try it discover that it really does make you feel good. Again, I agree that people discover that it feels good. I don't... People should not have to make an extra effort to be healthy because there there's an easier choice to be unhealthy. There's an The choice to be unhealthy is just as hard as the choice to be healthy. Do I want to walk to McDonald's or do I want to walk to Whole Foods? You got to walk to one or the other. Got to go to the cash register with your food and buy it in both cases. Like... It's not easier to be unhealthy than to be healthy. Being healthy can be just as easy. You just have to acknowledge at a high level in your, in your system too that you're going to feel better if you do the healthy thing. And that's the part that people don't think about at all. If, you, if people were thinking about how they were going to feel if they ate healthy food, they would eat healthy food. The problem isn't that they're too stupid. It's that they're not thinking about it. <laughs> Because they don't know this is damaging them. Or maybe they do, but they don't know how much. They don't know the extent to which this is Which bad. is, I, I really, think really think if that it the exists, health stuff... If they exist, how bad can it really be? Now we're learning how bad it can really be. Yeah, but that's, no one thinks that's news. I mean, everyone knows that like cigarettes are bad and they exist for a long time. And then we discovered how, just how bad it is to smoke cigarettes and then pretty much everybody stopped. Like, that same kind of thing can happen again. It really can. And it's, it's even starting to. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's they're, they're huge, losing. Like, Coke, Coke is losing a lot of ground to say coconut water. Like sodas in, in delis of all places. But that's coconut too specific of an example. I mean, health in general. Like, there's like a health apps are practically a fad now. Like health, apps health. that track your health and your eating and everything. Like, great, but that's that affects the masses. People change if, their decisions. But based people on people don't have a choice to not be healthy. That's what I want. The, the default should be. You, you try and take away the choice. You should have to opt out of eating healthy rather than opt into eating healthy. Right now, it's, you have to opt out of eating unhealthy. Right now, you have to opt into one or the other. They're both opt in. Unless you're advocating that we start dropping off healthy food at everyone's doorstep in the morning. No, I think that the only thing in the supermarket should be fresh vegetables. And we yeah, should, but in order and to... The, and, and the grains that we subsidize, the food that we subsidize in terms of... On, on, uh, um, so how would you go about opting out of healthy food? Opting in. How do you? How would you go about opting in to unhealthy food? Say you. Say we achieve this utopia. You go to. You go to a a, a hypodermic needle ridden commissary somewhere in the out in the out far far parts of town. But that's not how unhealthy food works. You just eat it. (laughs) We make it. We make it particularly difficult to make to access healthy food because only that's a market. No, no, no. Because reaction it, to the fact that people there's more demand for unhealthy food. There shouldn't be a demand for it if we didn't create one. That's not true. You were just telling me, which we, I mean, we kind of both already knew, but you were just saying that unhealthy food has gained its popularity by basically taking advantage of our biological sort of problems. Like our the fact that we crave fat and sugar is like not healthy for us necessarily, but it takes advantage of that. There was a time when all the food was basically healthy, when it was still, everyone was a farmer, more or less. Everyone opted in to unhealthy food. Be- partially because the, the things that we were subsidizing contributed to exactly this. If we subsidized on a, on a government level um, 
fresher vegetables, fresh vegetables, not just like corn, then people would be able to would have access to exactly this. If, but that's not what we're doing. All right, let's resume next week. We're going long. This is indeed long. Farewell, listeners. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Twitter to get updates about new shows and subscribe. And if you do use Overcast, feel free to recommend this episode because it really, really helps us. Almost everyone that listens to the show listens on Overcast. All right, see you next week. Bye. Surprise, surprise.